Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right. Good day, everyone. This is CJ, and we are live to deliver a very special edition of Hanging with Harley. Uh, everyone knows Harley Schlanger. He needs no introduction at all. And I know that there's a lot to talk about. We're a little short on time today, so I want to jump right into it. So, Harley, how are you, sir? I'm doing fine, CJ. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great, Harley. We've Here in the last few days, we've witnessed a lot of turn of events, you know, geopolitically, things that are happening, even though even here domestically, here in the U.S., uh, where would you like to begin, sir? Well, I, we definitely will talk about the North Korea situation, but I'd actually like to start somewhere where most people are not paying attention to something that's extremely important, and that's the situation in Italy. And some of your listeners may remember about a year ago, we had a man named Marco Zani on. I, I brought him on with you. He's a leader of the group, which is now in the government in Italy. And at the time, he was with the Lega Nord, the Northern League, and he was talking about the need for a Trump solution in Italy. In other words, something above the, the so-called major parties, outside the mainstream, and against the EU and the banks. Well, he's now, his party's now in the government. He's still in the European Parliament. But the Lega Nord and the Five Star Movement are the new government of Italy. And the Five Star Movement itself is somewhat questionable. But the Lega, and also the leader of the Five Star Movement, uh, who's going to be one of the people determining the policy, are very clear on two things. One, you need Glass-Steagall. And two, you need a national credit policy, which means that Italy may not stay in the European Union and the Euro much longer. Now, they're not threatening to leave yet. They're talking about possibly having a referendum in Italy, uh, what you might call an Ital exit. But what they are talking about is that they're not going to allow the European Union, and especially the European Central Bank, to control their credit policy anymore, because the EU policy is all the liquidity has to go to the big banks first. So there's almost nothing left for the real economy. And Italy is a prime example of a nation that's real economy has been starved, while the banking sector, which is dysfunctional, is constantly fed money so that they can pay their debts primarily to German and London banks. And the EU itself, the ECB, is threatening Italy they're saying, we'll cut you off if you go ahead with these policies. And Italy is saying, look, we, we're an elected government that was elected precisely because the previous governments did what Brussels wanted and not what the Italian people wanted. And so this is a real moment of truth for the euro. Uh, at the same time, you had Macron meeting with Putin at the St. Peter's Economic Forum, St. Petersburg Economics Forum. And Macron and Putin uh, seem to have some very clear ideas about economic policy and especially about ending the sanctions. 
Uh, Merkel was in China. Now, I, I don't think we can expect much from Merkel. But in Germany, there's real interest in what's going to happen in Italy, in part because the second shoe dropped at Deutsche Bank. Uh, you may remember about two weeks ago, John Cryan, the, the London CEO, was fired. Well, now they've brought in uh, Saver as the, the new CEO, and he's from the old-fashioned banking outlook, which is no uh, investment bank, scale way back the London operation of Deutsche Bank, and invest in small and medium enterprises, high-tech companies, and, and so on. The, the local economies, the real economy. So we're seeing some dramatic shifts in Europe. Now, how this plays out will have a big effect on what happens in the United States with the Trump administration, because there are two things going on here. One, which we can get to in, in a moment, which is uh, what happened to screw up the North Korea deal, which is from what I'm now beginning to get in terms of an intelligence picture, was more on North Korea than it was on Trump. That is, the North Koreans seem to have pulled back and gotten cold feet. But the other thing is the extent to which Trump has pushed to bring forward the picture of who's actually behind the Russiagate is now creating a situation where the same British networks that ran Russiagate and the same ones that ran the Skripal case and the Duma chemical weapons hoax, the false flag in Syria, the ones who are trying to keep the euro together are on the defensive and some of them, like John Brennan, may end up in the dock. So the, the situation for those people who got depressed because of what happened with North Korea, look, it's a fluid situation. We're not about to have a nuclear war. That could happen, especially if people like um, John Bolton are allowed to run their mouths. But on the other hand, there are a lot of extremely interesting developments which point toward the new paradigm gaining momentum <clears throat> while the old paradigm continues to discredit itself. So this is a moment where the voices of the people will have a big difference. And I'd like to encourage people, encourage listeners to go to the White House website where they do these occasional petitions. And one of the petitions was started by Edward Lozansky, who's the head of the American University in Moscow, calling for an immediate summit between Putin and uh, Trump. And we've got to get 100,000 signatures on that as quickly as possible, because I think a Putin-Trump meeting is probably the best thing that we could expect out of the strategic situation right now. Right. Absolutely, Harley. Now, in regards to the foreign policy and what we've witnessed lately in regards to Iran, uh, you know, Israel, we're seeing the United States being isolated, and quite a bit of that ties directly to the EU and and the and the partnerships there, and if I if I believe correctly, I don't believe that Italy is willing to re-sign on those sanctions uh, to Russia, creating another big divide uh, between the United States and the European Union. Well, this is a case where the United States is wrong, and where I think Trump knows the United States is wrong. Remember, he didn't want to sign those sanctions that were voted by the Congress that are very tough sanctions and that would hit European companies. So I don't think Trump is too upset that the Italians are saying they don't want the sanctions on, on Russia. Also, Austria is uh, raising questions about the sanctions, the new government in Austria. 
uh, which is sort of a populist-style government of the center-right. Uh, so, you know, this, this is where it becomes very complicated. People who try to figure it out based on old labels and old left and right terms, liberal, democrat, socialist, uh, conservative, they lose it because, you know, what's the conservative issue with Russia? Should we be getting ready to go to war with Russia? Should we have the Obama policy? Was Obama a conservative? Well, Obama was the one who put U.S. troops on the border of Russia, expanded NATO, pulled off a coup in Ukraine. So many Republicans agree with that, but it's an insane policy. Uh, on, on the same token, uh, Trump is right on some of what he's saying on trade. Many so-called American conservatives are free traders. But free trade is tied to deregulation and the speculative economy, the taking down of the physical economy. So what's the conservative or liberal position on that? So I think we're at a point where people have to rethink these things and, and what's happening in Europe. You know, if you think it's confusing in the U.S., you should see the people in Europe. I was just at a conference <laughs> yesterday where I intervened and someone was saying, uh, this German businessman was saying, well, look, the Italians need austerity. They need to follow the rules. And I said, you want another Greece in Italy? Italy's the third or fourth largest economy in the EU. It's a, an economy that in the past has been highly productive. You want it to become nothing but a collapsed banking state in which all the money that Italy generates goes to pay off debts to the city of London? And he said, no. And I said, well, you ought to look at the program of the people in power. And another guy said, well, I agree with what they're saying, but isn't this going to hurt Europe? And I asked the question, how could it hurt Europe more than the policies of the European Union and the European Central Bank? And this room full of very stern-faced Germans broke into the smiles and people were nodding their heads in agreement. So we're busting the axioms. And this is, I think, what, what people should take delight in doing. Instead of trying to figure out how to fit your own thinking into the existing axiomatic structure, recognize that the axioms or business as usual is broken down. It's an open field out there. And now it's an open field for real ideas. And the best ideas are those that, that stem from the traditions of the American economic system, physical economy, investment in real production, development of a labor force, development of research and development and new technologies. That's the future. And either the United States jumps on that bus or we're going to be sitting at a dead end where the next bus may be 50 years from now. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Harley, in regards to uh, North Korea, what do you, you so you don't think that there was any type of purpose sabotage by Bolton? You know, they they went on. He went on to say that we're going to follow the Libya model there. We had Mike Pence that did an interview that night that said that, you know, that North Korea doesn't play by the rules. They will see the same thing, you know, that Libya did. I, I, I don't understand that rhetoric going into a time where uh, th that there had been concessions made by North Korea, allowing some of those prisoners to get released. I believe yesterday they imploded one of their uh, nuclear yeah. test sites, everything else. I, I just don't get the foreign policy and the conflict. Of, of what's happening. And now you have the Democrats, Democrats that are actually celebrating that there's not going to be potentially a meeting to broker a peace deal. Just, I just don't get it, Harley. Well, that's, that's why I'm saying the, the old formulations don't work. Look, Bolton should be fired. 
Bolton was way out of line to make that kind of comment. Uh, and there's a fight going on between Bolton and Pompeo. And I don't think Pompeo is the best guy, but Pompeo is actually there. He met with the North Koreans. He knows what they're willing to do and has a good sense of that. And he brought that back to Trump. And then Bolton brought up the, the Libya model, and then so did Pence. The two of them are irresponsible, and they bear some of the responsibility for the breakdown. On the other hand, you know, the, the question, the, the longer-term question with North Korea is security. And on this, I think Trump actually gets it, because Trump basically said, we're willing to ensure the safety of Kim Jong-un, provided he works with us on the deal, provided he denuclearizes, and if he does, we'll help make North Korea a productive economy. The problem is you can't do that overnight. And whoever it was that told Trump, you go to this June 12th meeting and you get the Nobel Prize, wasn't doing him any favors. It's going to take a while, but I think they're going to be able to rework uh, some of these things and, and may be able to put it back together because the Chinese and the Russians and the Japanese also want it to work, as do the South Koreans. The ones who don't want it to work are the Bush neocons in the Republican Party and the saboteurs among the Democrats who, uh, as you point out, would rather have a nuclear war to blame on Trump than to actually have a successful negotiation. So we're up against the same problem. The one-party alliance at the top of the Bush Republicans and the Clinton Democrats. Trump was effective in countering them during his campaign. Unfortunately, because of Russiagate and because of the media and because of a number of other things, he's been held somewhat hostage to these crazy neocons in the Republican Party and the neoliberals in the uh, Clintonistas in the Democratic Party. So unless he cleans that out, I, I don't know what's going to happen with North Korea, but it, it, the, the potential for progress is still there. It's just a question of, of looking for a, a reset, I think. Right, absolutely. And, and Harley, I think this is worth a little bit more conversation, and that's that Senator Rand Paul, anti-war, The Intercept, concur with LaRouche that all Russiagate roads lead back to London. Can, can, you, can you detail that out a little bit for us, please? Oh, sure, sure. You know, I, I've written about five or six articles on this before it became popular. Uh, and I just wrote a new one today. But here's the point. If you understand the importance of the Christopher Steele dossier, and secondly, the meeting of Robert Hannigan, the former head of the GCHQ, the British Signals Intelligence Unit, with John Brennan in June of 2016, that tells you what you need to know. The British went to Brennan and basically said, look, Trump's winning these primaries. If he wins the nomination and then he wins the presidency, he's going to screw everything up with Russia. Now, what do they mean by that? They want Russia at odds with the United States. These are people from London and the neocons in the U.S. who want to see Putin fail. They want to see a coup or a revolution in Russia because Russia has rejected the monetarist financial model of the West, as has China. And so these people are desperate to keep uh, Trump away from Putin and away from Xi Jinping. So Brennan was one of the key people. He brought in Clapper. Clapper is a, a certifiable idiot. 
if you look at his comments about how, well, we didn't spy, we didn't infiltrate the Trump campaign, and if we did, it was it was the right thing to do because we should be spying on Trump. You know, the Washington Post one day said there was no spy and no infiltration. The next day they said, well, if there was, it's not what Trump thinks. And the next day they said, yes, there was, but it was to protect Trump. So the the, the enemies, the anti-Trumpers can't get their line straight. But the British have their line straight. No talks with Putin, no concessions to Russia, no agreement with the new Silk Road with China. And Trump was prepared to break with that. So you, you see the, the Brennan-Hannigan discussion and then the role of Christopher Steele. Now what's emerging? Three very interesting characters, all of whom have CIA, FBI, and MI6 ties. One is this, this guy, Stefan Halper, who goes way back and came to Cambridge to, uh, his father was a deputy director of the CIA, or his father-in-law, rather, Ray Klein. Uh, Halper himself worked very closely with George H.W. Bush when he was running for president. Uh, Halper has a long pedigree of CIA, FBI, MI6 operations. And he was all over people like Carter Page and George Papadopoulos trying to entrap them by encouraging them to talk about how the Russians released emails and the Russians have the dirt on Hillary Clinton. Uh, secondly, you have Joseph Mifsud, the so-called Russian professor who took this poor sap Papadopoulos and someone should find out who gave Papadopoulos to Trump because he, he's an inept incompetent. But Mifsud told uh, Papadopoulos that he has connections in uh, Russia and that the Russians have emails. And Papadopoulos then went out and blabbed to a guy named Alexander Downer. Now, who's Downer? Downer is the former foreign minister of Australia. He's the Australian high commissioner to Great Britain. And he's the one who passed on Papadopoulos blabbing to Brennan and the United, I'm sorry, to the FBI, which was then used as the excuse to set up the FBI uh, task force, the Get Trump task force, with names like Peter Strzok and Andrew McCabe and others involved with it. So you have these three British CIA shared assets, Mifsud, Halper, and Downer, uh, all of whom were part of a setup. Whether they were paid by the FBI or not isn't the point. Their purpose was to put out the narrative that the Russians want to help Trump. You come with us and we'll get you the connections. And then once people like Papadopoulos and Carter Page started talking about it, Mueller swoops in and grabs them. And so the Russiagate story was crafted in London and in direct collusion with John Brennan and Clapper. I'm inclined to believe more and more that Comey is just a dummy, that Comey was brought in on this. Uh, he thought he was doing the right thing. Uh, he's not a good guy. Just because he's dumb doesn't give him an excuse. But he right. wasn't one of the initiators. But Andrew McCabe was extremely important in this. Peter Strzok, who was, the, who was Strzok? He was the liaison between FBI counterintelligence and John Brennan. And ultimately, John Brennan is the key operator from the U.S. side. Now, who does Brennan have as his closest sidekick? A, a guy your listeners are familiar with by the name of Barack Obama. And if, if Brennan can ever be brought in to testify 
if he starts getting scared, Obama's going down because Obama was in on this. It was the Obama Justice Department, the Obama FBI, the Obama CIA that knew they were working with Russia against a candidate for president of the United States. So that's why all roads lead to uh, London. And if you want a very good read on this, besides the one I'm writing, which I'll make available to your listeners, but another one is from the Six Semper Tyrannis website, Colonel Pat Lang's website. Uh, he makes a very good argument uh, in his most recent column on the whole London connection. So I, I think the work that we've been doing, the LaRouche movement has been doing to get people to understand these fights take place on a higher level. It's not liberal conservative. It's not someone doesn't like Trump because he's for guns or someone doesn't like Hillary because she might be a lesbian. Now, these are profound issues about the direction of the nation for the next 30 to 50 years. And if you approach it from that higher standpoint, then you don't get fooled when some guy hits all the talking points of the right wing or the left wing or the, the center and you say, oh, that's my guy. Uh, the American people have to become more sophisticated. And I'm seeing something interesting in Europe, in Italy. It's definitely the case. The Italian voters knew what they were doing when they voted for the anti-European parties, the Lega Nord and the Five Star Movement. They knew that they were rejecting the banker's dictatorship of the EU and the ECB. In Germany, the, the AfD, the alternative for Deutschland, is not that clear an option. Uh, and the CDU and the SPD, the, the leading parties, are being rejected, but there's a mishmash. No one's quite sure where to go in Germany. So it, it's important that Trump makes clear that when he's talking about redoing the Iran deal or working with North Korea or working with Putin and Xi Jinping, that he makes it clear to Europe that he's not anti-Europe. He's opposed to a Europe in which countries give up their sovereignty to an international banking dictatorship that then tells them what to do. So I, I think this is really a, a moment of truth for citizens of the advanced sector to give up the, the easy, simplistic answers of, of that everyone's used to in politics of left and right, liberal, conservative and actually get into these deeper, more profound conceptions such as physical economy, uh, wealth production, uh, credit policy, and so on. Yeah, absolutely, Harley. Absolutely. Uh, Harley, closing thoughts, and then also please share how our listeners uh, can you know, follow more about your work, learn more about them, and obviously your great uh, content and articles that you're producing, Harley. Well, the, if, if someone wants the article I've just written, Send me an email and I'll send it out today. Uh, send it to Harley, S-C-H, that's H-A-R-L-E-Y-S-C-H at gmail.com. If you want to see my regular blog, which includes all my past articles, you can go to lpac.co slash Harley. And that's part of the LaRouche Pack website if you go to LaRouche Pack website and type in my name, you'll probably get to that page. But it's really crucial that people understand that uh, Lyndon LaRouche is an incredible resource for the American people. He's been writing clear articles on these kinds of topics for almost 50 years. And he's been proven right over and over and over again. 
And when, as soon as it became clear there was going to be a so-called Russia gate against Trump, uh, what Mr. LaRouche said is you've got to focus on London and the American networks in the Republican and Democratic Party that orient to London. So that's what I've tried to do. Again, it's harleysch at gmail.com. And I, I welcome also if people want to send me a note uh, with your ideas or if you disagree, you want to engage in a discussion on the, through email, feel free to do so. Very good. Harley, thank you so much for being with us today. And for our listeners, thank you for listening in. Uh, please make sure to like and also share uh, this this live stream uh, so that we can help to get this information out. Just critical right now in terms of the information uh, to, to let uh, people know truly what's happening. So, Harley, thank you so much for being with us today. Sure. See you next week, CJ. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm.